If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I have this message today and then the message next week, and then we will be completed with the series that we have been on for the past several weeks about dirty to destiny or about examining the lives of different people who didn't think they would ever be qualified to be used of the Lord, only to have a great encounter that changed them and how that applies to our lives. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 32 today, Hebrews 11:32. And as we get to this particular part of this chapter, we begin to see a number of names listed that don't necessarily tell the story, but I'm going to share with one of those with you today. Under the heading of the faith of the judges and prophets, verse 32 said, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that your word is what gives us life. And so I pray that you would take your word today through the story of Samson and that you would begin to unlock our hearts so that we can understand what you desire to do in our lives. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us and that you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you that on the back of your bulletin is listed the website address for the church. I have had so many people the last couple of weeks coming up asking me if I could run off copies of my notes of, of different messages so that they could take them with you. I want you to know that all of the messages are online. You can go to our website, find the media icon, click it. It will bring you to a place where you can click it. Another one, and all of the Sunday messages are listed there, and you can, you can put them onto your uh, iTunes, and you can carry them with you so they're all available. And uh, I would encourage you to go there and take a listen to those if you have missed any of these. Today we're talking about Samson. Samson was a player. He was a ladies' man. In fact, Samson loved women so much, and one in particular, that Delilah would prove to be his downfall. And despite everything that Samson had going for him, he lacked the strength to resist her. And Samson was smart. He was strong. He was handsome. He was confident. He was anointed. He rose to be the leader of Israel for 20 years. And yet, despite all that and more, Samson had a weakness of women. Not just women, bad women. Some people are born to privilege have many advantages. And even with all of their advantages, they can't seem to succeed. Other people are born in the opposite way, with nothing to their name, but they seem to rise above it all to greatness. Samson was an example of the former. Had everything going for him, and it seemed to ruin him. The question has often been asked, what do you think Samson looked like? And obviously, for those of you who may have ever seen the movie of the Hulk, you know, you have this image in your mind of, Samson without being green, just being huge. Because of his great strength, some people think, well, maybe he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I have a tendency to believe that he probably looked much more average than you think he did. You say, well, how would you say that? Because he was so strong. And the reason is because Delilah and several others throughout his life kept asking him what the secret of his unique strength was. If he was built like that, they would obviously know what the secret was. It was weightlifting. But it wasn't in his case. 
we know that it was supernatural. And so he must have looked very ordinary, at least from the sense of bulging muscles and this image that so many of you get. But he was not only strong in his body, he was strong in his mind and he was strong in his spirit. He was sharp-witted. He loved riddles. He had a great sense of humor. And he was a blessing or he was born to be a blessing to his people. But with all of the potential that he had, this is not a happy story. It's a tragic story because he went from hero to zero. He went from victor to victim. He went from disobedience and defeat and disgrace and destructions would be the best ways to describe his life if you looked at it in its totality. Scripture indicates that he was bold before men, but he was weak before women. He had the Spirit of God upon him, but he lived for the appetites of his flesh. He was called upon to declare war on the enemies of God, but many times we find in Scripture that he was fraternizing with the enemies of God. He fought the Lord's battles by day, but he broke the Lord's commandments by night. If you had Samson and looked at him at the beginning of his life and asked what he would do with the end, your dreams for his life would be far different than the way things ended up. And if you would have probably asked him as a young man, he would have thought his life would look different than the way that it ended up because he probably thought that he was not capable of going that far. And so today, as I begin this, I want you to understand that there are three people sitting in your pew today. There's the person that you are now. There's the person that you can be with God on your side, and there's the person that you can be if you let Satan control your life. And the choice is completely up to you. Let me tell you the story of Samson as we look to God's Word. Samson, by his very name, means sunshine. Now, for those of you that ever watched, I believe it was a football story about something about the Giants. There's this quarterback from California who had long, flowing hair. I think they called him Sunshine. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you are just lost. That's all right. I took a chance on that. The reason that Samson's name was Sunshine is because he was born into a dark day in Israel's history when he came into the world and he had plans from God that was going to bring some hope to them. The historical account of Samson is found in chapters 13 through 16 of uh, the book of Judges. Samson's birth was a miracle in its own right. His mother was barren. She was not able to have kids, and she would constantly come before the Lord and beg God to allow her to have a baby. And since Samson's parents were still loyal to the Lord, and I find that interesting in its own right because Israel was living in a time of that particular time of being in disobedience to God, and yet his parents loved God, that God answered their prayers and chose them to have a son. And as you read the story, it was interesting that a messenger from God came to speak to Samson's mother. Not his father, which would have been normal for the time, but came to speak to his mother and told her that you're going to have a son. She went back and told Samson's father, and he began to quiz her as to what was said. And she told him everything, and he said, well, I would like to have that individual come and speak to us again. And again, there was a supernatural encounter with an angel of the Lord that told them exactly what was to happen. God said, not only is... Are you going to have a baby, but you're going to have a son? And God ordered Samson to be put under special consecration that was governed by being a Nazarite. A Nazarite is one who was chosen to be in the priesthood who didn't come from the tribe of Levi. Unique in its own way. Samson was a Danite. And so for him to be in the priesthood required that he would abide by certain rules. One of them that was that his hair would never be cut. 
It was for humility because it was a shame for man to have long hair then. He was never to drink alcohol at all in his whole life. In fact, he could not even touch grapes. He was never to be one that was in touch or touched dead people. There was a holiness and a consecration to his life. And it was a unique vow that was to be given to him. God had apparently planned to provide Samson with unbelievable, unbelievable superhuman strength. Something that had never been seen before and that today all we can picture is movies. Because he was supposed to be the one to destroy the Philistines. Once he was grown, as he grew into a young man, he seemed to obey all of the things that were supposed to be within his life. He had a healthy respect for his own strength and seemed to serve God. But once he was grown, he seemed to lack concern about those who he was supposed to be the enemy of. The Philistines, the one that he was supposed to bring freedom from, began to be his friends. The very things that he was supposed to despise, he began to get involved with. He didn't think that they were all that bad. In fact, he even made an attempt to blend into their lustful and perverted society. In fact, his first girlfriend was a Philistine. He then began to beg his mom and dad that they would be able to prepare the way so that she could become his wife. He didn't listen to a thing that his parents had to say. On the way to go see her one time, he came in contact with a lion. Scripture indicates that he literally with his hands, as the lion came to attack him, took the lion by the mouth and with such strength literally ripped the lion's spine and ribcage right out of its body and threw it and left it on the side of the road. As men, we can only dream of such things. You'd be surprised what I can... Never mind. Finally, he convinced his disapproving parents that the marriage was something that he was going to have happen whether they liked it or not and so it was arranged and using his strength to fulfill God's plan for Israel was the farthest thing from his mind at that point in time like a lot of us he was about to learn the hard way there are those of you sitting here today that are sitting here knowing if you had just listened at the beginning the heartache it could have spared you How much easier it would have been for Samson if he had only done what God had said. But his life was going to be filled with heartache because of his willing disobedience to what God had. Well, the marriage took place to his first girlfriend and it didn't last a week. The Philistines didn't trust him. They surrounded him with 30 bodyguards during the week-long wedding festival to try to get rid of him. They listened as they talked to him and he created this unique little... A clever riddle that he would do regularly because he had such a unique mind. And he promised them. I found this really interesting. He promised these 30 men that if they could come up with the answer to this riddle, that he would give them a new wardrobe. That just seems like, I would, what a waste. A wardrobe is what these guys seem to want. And so they tricked his first wife into, in a moment of weakness, telling him what the answer, telling her what the answer was, and she shared it with them. And He knew they would never have got this on his own. And so he goes out and he goes to another village and he kills 30 men, takes all their clothes, comes back and gives these 30 dead men's clothes to the ones who figured out the riddle. Interesting guy, Samson. They were so angry at what had taken place that they 
not only killed his first wife, but they burned her after giving her away to somebody else. And then it says that Samson grabbed and caught 300 fox, which is, when I get to heaven, I want to see what that looked like on heaven's DVD. How do you catch 300 fox? Better yet, how do you tie their tails together? Better yet, how do you light whatever you tied their tails together with on fire? And then he let them run, and they went through the fields, burning up everything that the Philistines had. Following that, in his superhuman strength, he began to take on some of the biggest and best that they had, and he was able to wipe them out, killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. A thousand men. These were not little guys. These were WWME type guys. And he took them out. If he had followed his parents' advice, he could have had a happy life. But his life was filled with one mistake after another. One loose woman after the next was the path he took during his 20-year judgeship in Israel. Then he met Delilah. Finally brought him to a place where the last harlot that is mentioned in his life in chapter 16 verse 4 is Delilah and here is where the Hollywood story comes on strong it was a craving and a wanton treacherous affair and Samson wanted love and happiness but they are elusive apart from God as for Delilah she was in love with herself and with money and would do anything in her power to make sure that she had enough and the rulers and the generals of the Philistines' army offered her large sums of cash to find out the secret to his strength. And after being nagged to death and giving clue after clue after clue, he finally told her what the true strength was to him, that it was in his hair. And we have this image in our mind that he had this long flowing hair, but that probably wasn't it at all. In fact, Indications are that they probably had his hair braided into seven long braids that may have even been wrapped up and put above his head and even covered perhaps in some way. And so here he stands in this moment with the only woman that it seems like at least Scripture indicates that he loved with Delilah and she betrays him. And after she... Betrayed him, they said they came in and they overpowered him, cut off his hair, realizing his strength was gone. They gouged out his eyes and bound him with brass chains and fastened him to a grinding wheel in a dark prison and made him grind like an ox. And the image that I received as I was reading some commentaries on this was that for those people that they did this to, it was likely that he was never given bathroom breaks. And so as he's walking along, he literally was walking in the filth of his own excrement. Day after day, pushing along as everybody is making fun of him. But over those months, when he had no eyes and he's a captive to them, his hair begins to grow back. And during that time, while he is in the middle of hardship, his mind begins to go back to the promises of God. How many of you know that when you hit the bottom, suddenly you're willing to talk to God? Something about getting to that point where you recognize there's no place left to go. I might as well see if God still knows who I am. And in those hours upon hours as he's grinding the grain for them, he begins to take stock of his life. 
and ask perhaps if there's not one more thing that he can do. The decision was finally made, even though he couldn't see the light of day during a celebration, he's brought into the place where in the biggest cathedral that they have or whatever it may be, the large crowd had gathered around so that they could gloat over the fact that they had captured the judge of Israel. In fact, there were 3,000 of the most important people and officials of the Philistines that were there that day. And it had been some time since he had been captured and his hair had begun to grow back. And being led to a place where he could get his hands on the two main pillars, with the help of a young boy, he prayed and said, Lord God, if you'll give me one more chance, help me destroy the enemy. And the Bible says that superhuman strength, the strength that was given to him by the Lord, came upon him. And in his last act, as his own life was taken, he wiped out the hierarchy of the Philistine people. And the disaster was so disruptive that the Philistine nation lost the ability to contain Israel. And Israel threw off its yoke of oppression. And in that one act of yielding himself to God, in his final act, Samson accomplished more than he had done his entire life following the way that seemed right to him. Samson was a player. And as we begin to look deeper into his life, there were several things that come to my attention that we need to understand today. Number one, Samson dishonored his godly parents. Samson dishonored his godly parents. He was being raised in a home that understood the value of God and His presence in their life. His mom and dad not only begged God for him to be born, but told him, Lord, we will dedicate him to you today. And somehow in his growing up process, he looked at his mom and dad and felt as if they had nothing whatsoever that they could offer him. He got so full of himself and of his own abilities and of his own strengths and of his own handsomeness and his own ability to turn the head of women that he ignored the things that his mom and dad had to say to him. There is a way that will lead you to destruction, and that is a way that when you quit listening to the advice of wise people. If you start thinking you can do this on your own, you begin to follow a path that's going to tear you apart. And the first step in his downward journey was when he reached an age where he should be listening to them the most. He pushed them away and said, I don't need anything to do with you. Samson also deserted his promise. He took a Nazarite vow, which meant that he would be separated from everything else out there and giving himself completely to God. How many times have we made promises to God in difficult times? I can't tell you how many people that I have talked to that have told me, you know, in the middle of hardship, they'll come into the office and they'll say, you know what, if God will just help me through this, I promise, I promise, I promise. I'll do this for God, or I'll give up this, or I'll seek His face, or I'll commit my life to Him. And I have seen in those moments where God has come through and delivered people from their hardship only to have them later on go, you know, I don't know if I really meant all of that. Well, things are better now. And begin to wander away from the very blessing that God had given to them. And they begin to go back on the promises that they had made to God, and God does not forget the promises that we make to Him. Samson distorted his purpose. 
In fact, when it begins to tell us about what the wedding was like to his first girlfriend in chapter 14, you begin to recognize that all of the people at the wedding were Philistines. They were the wrong crowd. He was hanging out with the wrong people. And for those of you that are young people today or teenagers and young adults, I want you to know something. The crowd you hang out with will influence you. When I was in college, I was a part of a ministry and we went to visit the jails and as I was there, there was an 18-year-old boy in one of the cells, and I just began to have a conversation with him. And I asked him, what is it that you did to be here? And he says, I'm here because I hung out with the wrong people. That I jumped into the friend, uh, a car of a friend, and little did I know that he was about to rob a convenience store. And he came running out, jumped in the car, and he says, we were pulled over. And he says, I was guilty because I was in the car, even though I didn't know what was going on. And he said, I'm here because I wouldn't listen when people said, that crowd's going to get you in trouble. Samson distorted his purpose by hanging out with the very enemies that he was born to protect his people from. Samson also defiled his purity. He was created for purity. It keeps getting worse. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you plan to stay and it will cost you far more than you plan to pay. You see, the enemy never tells you the rest of the story. He makes sin look good. He makes the commercials look great. He makes it look like everybody's having fun. He doesn't show you the next day. He doesn't show you the injuries that come as a result of being in the wrong crowd. He doesn't show you what it's like when you have to suffer the consequences of running from the purity that God desired of you. Samson. One who was to be the picture of purity for his people defiled his very purity. As a result, Samson diluted his power. And now he's sitting in Delilah's hair salon. He didn't know that's what it was at that moment. And she's whispering secrets to him. Something about Delilah, and Delilah's name means soft. Something about her captured him more than anybody else to the point where he didn't even recognize that he was being manipulated. He put up with more from her than he had anybody else. And she kept playing these games with him, asking him, what's the secret? And he would tell her something and she would bind him with cords. And when she would say, the Philistines are here, he would jump up and break them. And she would start to cry. Oh, you just have lied to me. He couldn't resist her tears. Couldn't resist her. But you'll notice that every time he would tell her something, it would get closer and closer and closer to the truth of what his strength really was. And finally, he caves in and he tells her the truth and he breaks the final part of his Nazarite vow. And now it's too late. Now it's the point of no return. And here's the saddest verse of that when it says in chapter 16, verse 20, he lost his power and he didn't even He had lived a compromised life so long that he didn't know when the presence of the Lord was with him and he didn't know when the presence of the Lord was not with him. I pray that we would be so sensitive that there would be an obvious moment in our lives if we are walking outside the presence of the Lord that the convicting, the convicting and convincing power of the Holy Spirit would draw us back in, that we would know that. But if you live a compromised life, you may not know whether He is with you or not. 
And as we begin to take a look and, and begin to see toward the end of the story, it tells us that after having his eyes gouged out, and I'm wondering in that moment because he had lived a life of destroying others. He'd lived a life of destroying the enemy. And for one time he, re- he stood up and recognized there was nothing that he could do. He had been captured. And I wonder what it was like as they were ripping in to his eye sockets with their hands and literally pulling his eyeballs out of the socket. When that moment came when he began to think, you know, I don't think this was worth it. I didn't see this coming. I thought I would always be able to live the way I wanted and just get away with it because of my strength. And as they bound him and made him act as if he was an animal for them, I wonder what his conversations with God were like. All the time I know that he kept reaching up to feel his head. And his hair began to grow back again. And finally, his hair grew to the length where the strength of God returned to him. And the reason that I find this so fascinating is because in Hebrews chapter 11, this is the faith hall of fame. It says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak. And then Samson is mentioned. And honestly, from my perspective, I'm thinking if there was ever somebody that didn't make the Hall of Fame, it would be Samson. He broke every law and every rule that you could possibly break. He was the antithesis of everything God had created him to be. He even had to kill himself in order to fulfill the plan of God in taking others out. Yet there was something that was redeemable about Samson in that last moment. And so for you today to be able to stand in the presence of God and say, I can never know the joy of the Lord because you have no idea what I've done. I want you to know that the enemy's lying to you. Because let me tell you something. I want you to reflect on this today. Many people today, even living their lives in a, a surrounding of church people and in this community, are living powerless lives today. And you put on the clothes and you come to church and you look good and you play in the game knowing that when you walk out the doors, you're living a compromised life. And you're powerless today because of unholy living. You're not living the sanctified life that God called you to. I may have told you this story, but a number of years ago I had a close friend. His name was Sherman Montgomery. Sherman had been the Fine Arts Festival coordinator for our district when I first came into the district office as the district youth director. It was just a few weeks after that that Sherman was discovered that he had uh, leukemia. He went through many different treatments, but it became pretty obvious that God was going to bring Sherman home. And there were two or three other of us that were close friends of Sherman, and we went to his, to his parents' house to visit him in Virginia after he had just discovered that the bone marrow transplant hadn't worked. The doctors had told him, you've got days. And sitting there with he and his wife and their three small kids, I remember he and I had a few moments just on the back porch, and I remember asking him, I said, Sherman, you're my friend. I just need to ask you this question. What is it like to die? And Sherman in that moment looked at me and he says, I want you to know something. He goes, I have the best devotions I've ever had in my life. 
He says, my wife and I right now are closer together and closer in the world than we ever, we ever have. And he says, I cannot begin to tell you about every time I read the word, how the little compromises God begins to bring into my mind so that I can sever them. He says, I don't want to stand before God, whether it's today or this week, having any compromises in my life. He says, I'm, I've learned to sever the compromise. And those words have stuck in my mind. Because none of us know the day or the hour when our time will come. And I do not want any of us to have to stand before God having lived a life of compromise when He's got the power to separate those within our life. The word sanctified means set apart. In other words, when we come to Christ, there is a lifestyle that we are to live to honor God. And so many times we try to live our lives right on the line to be as close to the world as we can and still be okay with God. And God's saying, come deeper in me. There's nothing that can ruin the love of a family rather than having parents or married couples who are trying to see how close they can live to the world and and still keep their eyes on others and still, well, we're married, we're committed, I'm wearing the ring. You want to dive into the depths of love and commitment to one another, and that's what God asks of us in our commitment. As we look reflectively at this, we also understand that many are powerless today because of unholy marriages. People that are being unequally yoked in marriage. I've had conversations with all kinds of parents who through the years, and Cindy and I can tell you this, we've had parents say, well, I know that my son or my daughter is not marrying a Christian, but they are a great person. A great person. You know, we prayed for a godly spouse, but I mean, they're like in their mid-twenties now and it's not happening, so we're just going to let them marry this great person. And sometimes we so desire to fit into society that we compromise the very thing that God has for us without even knowing the blessings that God has in your future if you'll be obedient. And so today, it seems very common, even within the church and even among the the generation we live in, that if if they're a good person, if they're a good person, it doesn't matter if they're holy. Dad that would say, you know what, he's going to treat her well. Really? What does righteousness have to do with unrighteousness? What's going to happen when they have children and mom wants to bring them to church and dad says, i got other things to do on Sunday. We're not going to be doing that. What happens when the most important values of life under the hand of God are not availed to them? He's a good person and she's a good lady. And yet the Bible today says many are powerless because of being unequally yoked. Many are powerless today because of unholy pursuits. We've gone from being in the world to being of the world. As I've already mentioned, when we try to mix worldly values with godly standards, we end up alienating ourselves from the one true God and losing His presence and His power. In fact, I saw one, one author likened it to this. He says, as Christians, we are called to be boats. We can be in the water, but we're not to be full of it because when you fill a boat with water, it sinks. Our lives are to be lived in the world. And yes, there's going to be stormy days. And yes, there'll be waves. And there'll be times when the spray gets us wet. But there is something different about the child of God. We can be in the world, but not of it. Do not have to love their pursuits. In fact, last night, I believe it was last night, I made a comment to my wife. 
I said, we just sat here and we watched this program. And I said, you know what? Maybe you've experienced the same thing. I have become numb in my soul to the fact of how many of the commandments are broken on some of the things that I watch on TV and we don't think anything of it anymore. The laxness of morals and the things that we entertain ourselves with. And we, we see it so often, it just doesn't bother us anymore. And we recommend things to others. Oh, you need to go see this. It's a great story. And we just shelve the fact that there's nothing in there that is available to feed our soul. Or you just kind of have to over... We say, you know, you have to overlook this or this or this. No. We're powerless. We're powerless because of what we choose. But thankfully, God is a gracious God. A gracious God. And what we learn from Samson today is that repentance brings restoration. And that you can regain what you have lost because of sin only when you have repented of that sin. And I have to tell you that the word repent may very well one day be put on the list of things that are not politically correct to say. Because it indicates to people that they are living in a sinful condition. But I refuse to be ashamed of a gospel that declares to us that there is something available to us that can transform our life if we will humble ourselves before God and say, I am a sinner in need of Your grace. I come to You with all that is wrong with me and I lay it at Your feet and I ask that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me would wash away my sin and make me pure in Your sight. He says, if you will do that, heaven rejoices and your name will be written down in the Lamb's book of life. And it's a decision that only you can make. But repentance brings restoration. What Samson lost because of his sin, he was starting to get back because he had repented of his sin. And so today, if you're seeking God and you're asking Him to restore your peace or to restore your hope or to restore your joy or to restore your call, then I urge you to agree with God about where you may have gone wrong in your life and ask Him to enable you to get back on the right track because that's called repentance. And I'm going to ask the worship team if you would please come. Because today, my friend, you may be bound. You may be blind. You may be feeling defeated. But I'm here to tell you that your destiny in the hands of God is greater than what you could have ever dreamed. God will restore to you what you have lost. And your latter days can be greater than your former days. And so today I say, Samson may seem like a weird guy to read about. He was a unique character, yet in Hebrews 11, in the chapter of faith, he made the Hall of Fame to demonstrate to each of us that it's never too late to come to Christ. As long as you are breathing, it's not too late to come to Christ.